Welcome to Box, 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 the Formula One podcast by myself, Ian Botcast, and my buddy, Matthew Marconcini here. Um, as this is the first episode, we're just going to give you kind of a quick rundown of what you can expect, a little bit of who we are, why we became fans, uh, and, and why we decided to, to start this podcast. So, um, Marco, how you doing? Good to be with you. I'm doing well. Excited to start this off. Uh, I think we started the, uh, the, the first race of, um, of the season off pretty well and uh, excited to talk a little bit about it and uh, have this to look forward to for the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Even with uh, give, a, give a little bit of life between the times that we're waiting between races. I feel like we got a little bit spoiled with uh, having races almost every weekend last year due to the pandemic. So yeah, in between kind of the, the rush of the races, we can have this to kind of talk about. Uh, the purpose of the podcast is a couple fold here. Obviously, we want to keep it light and fun, but we also want to, you know, I, we, I think the idea that we have is if you're someone's kind of a below to enter, you know, below average intermediate fan, um, you know, we want to be able to teach you something uh, and also kind of have fun doing it while keeping you up to date with with different happenings in the F1 world. So, uh, Marco, why don't you start off? Tell me a little bit about who you are, when you got introduced to F1, why you became a fan, all that good stuff. Yeah, so um, for our listeners, me and Ian became good friends in college, uh, early in college, and have um, since graduating uh, 2017, 2018, have still stuck uh, very close friends. And um, really what got us into to F1 was really the pandemic. There were no sports going on. And uh, we had some friends that bring up this um, Drive to Survive Netflix series that um, we just really, you know, even after episode one was really hooked to, um, I thought, you know, it was so much different than NASCAR and the only, and didn't really have any experience in kind of the NASCAR IndyCar realm. But I, I just thought that this was just a whole nother world. I thought the the racing itself, uh, was a lot more interesting. I thought the characters behind it, the team dynamics, everything there stood out to me a lot more. Um, and even the races that they were going to some of the locations were absolutely jaw dropping. And it's not, you know, you're watching these, these cars going, circle after circle after circle but you're actually getting to see some interesting type of turns and each um each location is you know in in racetrack is a completely different setup so i thought that that was something extremely intriguing for both of us uh and then you know over these over the, the last couple seasons we've been really hooked on um you know watching the watching the races um you know waking up at, at, you know, I've never been so excited waking up at six, seven, eight AM to watch some of these races on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So, um, that was something that, you know, we've really been talking about a ton. Um, I feel like this, this sport was something that was captivating for us and a way that, um, you know, there wasn't really podcasts or anything that caught our eye that really matched what we were looking for, for. And, um, so we thought that this was a great opportunity for us to really, you know, take advantage of that, um, and really, you know, if there was an outcry for, for something similar, really tr try to provide that to, to others out there. Yeah, I think that's a that's kind of a good summation. The, the hole in the market that I think we're trying to fill is we don't have the resources or the access to drivers, team principals, right? Of, of not yet. Not like, yet. Yeah, not yet. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, still, still, you know, kind of in, informing where we can. Um, if, if you kind of caught the bug like we did. Um, then yeah, this, this should be good to kind of, you know, pick up things here and there, um, and, and just, you know, have, again, have fun along the way, fun, fun, fun. 
Um, this as far as who I am, uh, basically all the same things as, as Marco here. Uh, you know, I'm a drive to survive convert. Liberty Media did a great job at, at getting people's, uh, you know, getting people's attention there. Um, I think part of the other hole that we're trying to fill is, is keeping people's attention. Where in, you know, in America, we're used to seeing, well, America and, and in fairness, other places around the world, like, you know, we see sports as like a weekly occurrence, right? Like if we like, you know, Marco's a, a Titans fan, I'm a Colts fan. We're used to seeing our teams every week during the season. Um, and just add it in between filling these holes of, of saying, okay, you know, let's, let's go ahead and talk about different things, talk about certain drivers, talk about different tracks, talk about the sport as a whole, like kind of cool stories, which we have, uh, we have planned later on. So that's the, the basis of the, of the podcast. Um, we are today is March 31st. Wow. March 31st. Um, we have just come off of the Bahrain Grand Prix. Um, a lot of stuff happening over the last like off season, kind of the, this between silly season and the beginning of the, of the start. Um, a lot of driver movement, a lot of team changes, uh, rule changes. So starting off, let's just kind of do a quick highlight. Um, if you've watched the first race, you, you know a lot of this information. We'll just kind of like, you know, br brush up on it. So um, starting off, let's just go from the top of the grid for the current Constructors Championship right now. we got Mercedes. Um, Mercedes is one of the three teams that brought back their exact driver lineup with Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas. Um, you know, not a, not a whole lot of, of you know, big stories coming out there. There was a little while between when Lewis was – getting his contract all finalized, kind of some back and forth that left people with, uh, with bated breath just to see whether or not he was kind of going to be done after equaling Michael Schumacher's record. But, um, you know, just as far as when you think of off season and Mercedes, like what comes to mind for you, Marco? Uh, kind of the status quo, honestly, over these last couple of years, they, um, you know, I know with Lewis, he's been the last couple of years kind of doing these one or two year contract deals. Um, and it's always that conversation of, who's going to be the new number two. And um, there's always speculation uh, over the last couple of years, whether Botas gets the, the boot and they bring someone else in someone, you know, younger. I know Russell has been a, t a huge talking point over the last, um, the last summer and, and even the fall and leaving up for this season. Um, and it just, it seems like Mercedes just doesn't really care. I think, you know, what they have going is, you know, they like what they have going. And so they're going to, you know, continue to do what they're doing and bring back uh, Botas and, and continue, you know, absolutely dominating the field. So um, I feel like it's always just the, the viewers hope that something is, you know, fun and crazy to, to spice things up. And then it's just the same thing. And I feel like that kind of a, a entails what these seasons are like over the last couple of years too, is, you know, the, the viewers want something to to be crazy, to stand out, to, you know, have some competition. And it's just not been the case. And so I think, you know, as Mercedes and, and you know, kind of that German mentality of being strict and being, you know, disciplined, that's kind of, you know, how they how they run as a as an organization as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's always the hope that there's going to be some kind of shocker. And then, you know, even, even going into Bahrain, we were like, you know, the Mercedes was showing some kind of vulnerability and testing here. What's that going to look like? And lo and behold, we get a Hamilton Verstappen and Bottas podium. So there's always going to be that hope. There's always going to be the excitement of something might happen here. Um, and that's at every race because something could happen every race. It just goes kind of few and far between uh, times that we can enjoy it. Moving on from Mercedes going on to Red Bull, who had a little more excitement in the offseason. Um, Red Bull Racing kicking out the, you know, kicking out Albon um, and, and putting him into kind of a reserve driver role and bringing in Checo Perez, who, um, I mean, being friends with Matthew, with, with Marco here, 
Marco called this, I would say probably three or four months uh, ahead of when it actually happened. So tip of the hat to you, Marco, um, kind of what are you, what are you most excited about seeing the, uh, the charging Red Bulls? Yeah. So um, I think over the last couple of years, seeing Gasly and Albon really struggle with that second seat, uh, I think, um, as a testament to Max, I think a lot of these young drivers really struggle with um, with living up to the height and that pressure to run alongside Max. And I thought Perez would have been uh, the perfect fit for this for this role, where very ex- uh, experienced veteran, someone that has really exceeded expectations with certain cars on certain teams. Um, Force India having you know having their struggles, but uh, him actually you know as we we've mentioned. He's someone that really can pull out a ton with what the car he's given. And so I think, you know, with given that um, how well he did last year, um, I thought that was extremely impressive um, being able to to finish on top, um, was able to um, finish a, a handful of podiums as well and really uh, put a fight for that kind of third and fourth place uh, finish in the Constructors Cup. And so I thought it was really well deserved. Uh, obviously, he's also coming in, in back with a ton of money. And so I think that you know, never hurts the the recruiting process to, to be able to say that you have that type of backing with you. And um, so, I mean, even seeing Bahrain, uh, the, uh, and, you know, we kind of thought there might be some growing pains, but, um, you know, just seeing how he, how he finished after starting completely back at the grid and to be able to finish uh, in fifth place shows a testament to, you know, and how well he does. Uh, I think even seeing that race last year uh, where he finished back at the grid and, and was able to um, come out in, in first uh, was, was huge and something that, you know, he's not going to, if, if he's struggling a little bit, which it seemed different from looking at Albon and Gasly where they're struggling. It seems like off the bat, they're not going to really make that big jump and, and come back. And he just, he does it every time. So I'm really excited for that. And I think he's going to be the best second seat since it was Danny and, and Max, um, and really be able to push Max a little bit more than, than we have seen. And uh, obviously Max just, you know, not that he needs to push at all, but um, it's going to be fun. And it gives Red Bull a lot bigger chance to at least make it a little bit more competitive for Mercedes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And you and I have talked about this, um, and I've said something very similar before, but like check Checo is just, is why sports are awesome. Like having his back against the wall a, a couple of times with Force India, um, you know, and, and kind of saving that due to just like raw driving talent um, coming through at, at, at racing point last year where um, he, you know, he got the, he got the boot because there's a billionaire's kid. That's one of the racing drivers. And there was a world champion available four-time world champion available and, and Sebastian Vettel. So um, yeah, he, have, having kind of all that adversity and then toward the end of the season, I think it was a second to last race winning a grand prix for the first time, um, you know, in, since your, since your 10 year, uh, career started. It's just awesome. Like, and now being into a, um, I mean, obviously too early to tell, but like a a championship winning, you know, a a championship contender car. Um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't, couldn't be more excited for the guy and and couldn't be more excited for the team and kind of like us fans. Like we just get to see more of a fight. It's a two V two fight between Mercedes and the Red Bull instead of just two Mercedes kind of getting to beat up on max and, uh, and kind of try undercutting strategies on them. So, yeah, I, I would say that's that's probably a, the more the, the biggest excitement coming out of the grid is is there in Red Bull. Other big excitement coming from McLaren, who just got Danny Rick, uh, Danny Ricardo in to partner up with Lando Norris, um, having Carlos or replacing Carlos Signs in, in that seat. Um, you know, I 
I think McLaren is just by far has the most likable drivers from like a, an off the track standpoint, like Lando Norris, you can tell he's just like this 20, what is he? 21, 22 year old kid um, who just like, you can tell he's a 21 year old kid. Like he's very much a, a talented driver, but he's a 21, he's a, he's a 21 year old. Um, I mean, there's videos of him playing like video games with his friends. Uh, and it sounded a lot like I did when I was, you know, in college playing video games with my friends. So um, yeah. Any, any thoughts on McLaren? Like any, any kind of sparks coming at you there? No, I think, yeah, you said it great. It's going to be, I think the most entertaining duo. It seems like they are just so likable and they also, um, you know, are guys that want to seems like to, to want to be friends, but once they get on the track, you know, they, they provide results. And so I think it's a great duo that, um, Danny, a little bit older could still help, you know, provide some insight and some learning experience for Lando. Uh, Danny still kind of has that little 20, 21, 22 year old kid inside of him too. Um, kind of the goofiness. And so I think that's great. I think that, uh, with signs, you know, it seems like they had that friendship last year, but he was just a lot more reserved, a little more quiet guy and a little harder to get that, that goofiness out of. And so I think this is just a perfect fit for a team that is going to, you know, provide a lot, a lot of competition, competition from that, three to, to six range uh, within the grid. Yeah, absolutely. And like, uh, I would say, I mean, there was, there's a bunch of marketing. I think McLaren's probably one of the best at marketing their drivers in terms of the content they put out um, anywhere from social media, like YouTube videos of, of uh, like Carlos and Lando hanging out last year. Um, it's, it's cool. They're, they're a cool team. They're on the rise. They have a Mercedes engine that they changed out uh, or, or, you know, they changed to a Mercedes engine this year. So um, the performance has been on the grid. They're currently sitting at third right now, um, six points ahead of Ferrari, who we should talk about next year. So Ferrari, um, having Carlos move over from the McLarens, um, I, you know, partnering up with Charles Leclerc, that's going to be, it's, it's going to be a fun matchup. Ferrari looked like they have a little more promise than they did in the car last year, um, which is always good to see, of course, but um, still a lot to prove after Ferrari probably having their worst season ever uh, last year. So um, you know, between, I guess, let, let's do this between Charles, between uh, Leclerc and Sainz, I guess, which one would you see finishing ahead of the other one in the driver's championship? I would say Leclerc. Um, I think having uh, a couple years of experience in the car is going to help greatly. I think coming into a new car always takes some, some growing pains. It ha didn't really seem it too much with Sainz. Um, but I also think that Leclerc uh, is a, a top tier, you know, a tier one type driver on the grid. And so I think science isn't too far after, but I think, you know, getting a little bit more comfortable with the car might take a little bit more time. Um, and, but I, I do think it'll be pretty close. Yeah, I, I agree. Good. Another like entertaining duo, um, you know, but no, no rookies like Alpha Tauri has here. Uh, Yuki Sonoda coming in into uh, the, the kind of, Part, partnership role of the past race winner, um, kind of the unique ones from last year. Pierre Gasly winning at uh, at was it, Imola, the uh, Tuscan Grand Prix. Um, awesome race for him. Pretty good season for him. Some ups and downs, but just like just you know what's to be expected. Um, you know what would I guess what what are some talking points out of AlphaTauri that you can that you can imagine other than that that rookie coming in. Um... Yeah, I was going to say the main focus was for me was the rookie. I think if Gasly can, can, can continue the consistency and maybe, a, you know, that trajectory of what he was showing and, um, make, you know, make some fights for the, you know, a top eight 
in above finish. Um, I think this team could be a competitive, you know, maybe towards the bottom of the, you know, four through six, uh, maybe um, making some strides there. But I, I think that Yuki character is, is exactly what I said. He's a character. I think <laughs> watching his interviews, he's absolutely hilarious. Um, I know they were saying, you know, what's, what's your expectation and what would you like to see um, finishing on the grid? And he has this kind of long pause and he's like, first and just you know p1 yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) and uh so i I think you know having that confidence even watching him and and hearing the announcers talk about him um and qualifyings and and during the race it seems like he doesn't have those kind of rookie type nerves that you typically see um he was very confident in some of these tighter um turns and um was really handled himself like uh, a little bit more of a veteran compared to a, a rookie and so i think that um that helps having a, a lot stronger of a second, I, I guess you would say a second seat um, compared to what they had the last couple of years. And so um, I think that they're going to just um, continue to make uh, strides even compared to yeah what they ended up last year. Right. Yeah. Got it. Um, sixth place currently in the constructors championship with one point. Thanks to Lance Stroll here. Um, we have Aston Marco or Aston Martin. Um, Aston Marco, because in our fantasy draft, Mar- uh, Marco picked the Aston Martin team along with Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll. So um, I guess give me your thought there. Where are you? Obviously, the fantasy draft was before Bahrain. Where are you on confidence level with the team, uh, with your fantasy team? And uh, how do you see that, uh, you know, kind of panning out at the end of the season? Uh, it is a lot lower than um, than after watching Bahrain, watching qualifiers. Um, it you know, I had a huge problem with Vettel at Ferrari. I thought he was just, you know, had lost a little bit of touch um, with seeing how much he struggled compared to seeing how well Charles, uh, Charles did with obviously, you know, not a great uh, Ferrari car that put a ton of worry onto me. Um, and I thought that as a driver standpoint, that they got significantly worse with my uh, opinions on Perez compared to, uh, to Vettel. So I thought that they, you know, decreased in a couple areas. I thought potentially, you know, hearing some rumblings that, you know, they did make some, some car updates um, that uh, they had been struggling with, but it seemed like that they thought that the car would have been a little stronger. So I thought that they would have been around where they were in that that type of competitiveness. Um, It just, it didn't seem nearly the same as it, as we had witnessed last year. Obviously, it's very early. Uh, Vettel could be still, you know, figuring out kind of the kinks as well. And so um, not giving up hope, but uh, definitely felt a lot more confident prior to, to Bahrain. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can get that. I- exciting prospect of a team, right? Cool. Well, I think we've talked about this too. One of the cooler liveries, I think, that are on the grid. Um, but, uh, but yeah, lot to be proven there. I think they would have enjoyed coming out of the weekend with more than just one point. Um, but yeah, a lot of races to be had still. So, um, especially h- hanging on to that Mercedes engine, it's still, you know, there was a pink Mercedes last year and now they're kind of moving on to, uh, they've been, they've been called the green Mercedes, even though that, that they, they kind of like, don't like that term just because of the improvements that they've made that weren't a direct result of a 2019 Mercedes, um, interesting prospect. Um, and let's go from an interesting prospect to a not so interesting prospect here with Alfa Romeo. Um, Giovinazzi and Rec and, uh, and Kimmy are back from the past season. They are, uh, I would say, what, what, what would you say? What's, what's kind of like best case scenario for them in your, in your mind? Uh, seven, 
finishing yeah. seven, I would say, in the contract. I mean, what are they, eight right now with eight, right? They're, they're, they're at seven oh. right now. Okay, there. So I, I don't see them being able to top any of the, the contenders that we've mentioned already. So um, I think that kind of they're, they're at their ceiling right now. Um, I, it's not a, an exciting team to talk about. Uh, the, I think the, the most exciting part of this team is, is Kimmy and, and not the fact that he's an exciting person, but is quite the opposite of, I mean, he's just, he's kind of a dick. He, he fully, you know, he takes, and he has no problem with it. I think he knows, you know, the type of person he is. And it, it is very entertaining to see um, kind of that awkwardness when he's being interviewed or, you know, when he's having his uh, conversations with the pit crew. So um, that's, that's the one fun part I would say about this, uh, this crew um, outside of that, there's just nothing that, that stands out to me too much. Yeah. There's a, on this team, we have a guy who says he's doing this racing formula one for a hobby. And we have an Italian Jesus who I could not tell you a single thing about. So yeah, I would, I would agree that uh, I, I have heard that there's rumblings within Alfa Romeo that uh, it's kind of like a, a put up or, or shut up with, with Giovinazzi, like having, you know, having a not great 2020 and then coming back and having to, to kind of prove himself again. But yeah, other than that, not a lot of talking points here. There are a lot of talking points at Alpine though, the, the new, the, the new Renault um, bringing in Fernando Alonso, the, the past world champion um, and Esteban Ocon who got booted from, uh, got booted from the, the Force India team when it was turning into racing point to make room for Lance Stroll. Uh, and then got kind of pretty shown up by Daniel Ricardo on the Renault team last year. Um, I mean, they're, they're at eighth right now. Um, just, I think by alphabetical order because they still have zero points. Um, but yeah, I, could you see, like, could you see a possibility that Renault gets it together? Fernando Alonso kind of puts his, you know, puts his best foot forward to lead Esteban Ocon. And could you see them overtaking like an Aston Martin who, if they continue to struggle? Uh, I wouldn't put money on it. I, um, I would say that Ocon is just a guy when you're, you're watching these races, he just goes, you know, I, I forget he's on the track. I like he, he was, especially last track. He, I mean, last race, he was in that, what, like 13, like 10 to 14 kind of range throughout the entire race. And I, you know, would just kept looking down and it would just pop up and like, Oh yeah, I forgot. He's he, there he is. Um, and I, I thought Fernando actually before, um, you know, calling it quits did show some flashes of, you know, looking pretty decent. Um, I know that he had some, some struggles here and there with the car, but um, I was, I was surprised cause I just had no idea what, what he was going to look like. Um, but, and really didn't know what Ocon was going to do. It seems like he didn't really impress me as well. And I was having a little bit more higher expectations for Alpine with um, the improvements that they, they had made the second half of last season and thought that, you know, if they could keep that trajectory, that they could be um, a lot more um, in contention for kind of the, that higher group of, of um, constructors fighting um, for each other. It just did not seem that we have seen that type of jump over from the end of last season to this season. Yeah, o Ocon getting on the podium, Danny Rick getting on the podium for Renault last year. Uh, they definitely had some flashes, but it's just like I think the lack of consistency, um, not just from the car, but from from the drivers too. That you know, the, I, I don't think they. Um, there are times that I think Ocon could be more aggressive, uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I think his his most exciting moment in Bahrain was when Vettel bumped into him and and spun him out. So right. um, yeah, uh, all right, the 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 
penultimate one we're going to talk about here. Um, Williams keeping with the Mercedes engine, uh, keeping with their two drivers, but switching out their team owners. So, um, you know, bringing in some private equity money into, into the team, obviously the Williams family selling the team was kind of a big deal. Um, but you know, when you're losing, what is it? I can't remember if it's five or $25 million a year, just by being at the very bottom of the table, it's probably time for something to give. So yeah, any, I mean, obviously there's the prospect of George Russell, but any kind of like any kind of talking points that you even want to talk about Williams here? No, I think it it has been the same as last year where George made it to Q2 this year and people were just really talking it up. How impressive. And yeah, it's just like, (laughs) all right, well, like you gotta, you know, why is this guy making Q2 and everyone's thinking he's, you know, the Jesus compared to everyone else that, you know, makes Q2 and beyond. So uh, that's going to be confusing um, to me. I mean, he's just, he, he's very likable and, and um, kind of everyone's um, kind of has his back just because of how nice of a guy he is. But uh, I was expecting, yeah, a lot more with the change of ownership um, from this uh, still could have some, some improvements, but I feel like I'm saying that with every team down the road. And so um, it, it does show me, it seems like not much has changed from William from what we were seeing last year. Yeah. I totally, totally echo that. We'll see if the private equity money that they come in and, and kind of, I, I don't know whether like kind of what management changes they have. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Ideally, ideally, I think for them, the best they can be looking at right now is, is where they are ninth. Um, and we got a wonderful team from America to talk about as our last constructor here. Um <laughs> Haas brought in two rookies this year. One of them is beloved and the other one is absolutely hated. Um, Beloved because of his last name, right? Mick Schumacher coming in, son of a driver who kind of, I I wouldn't say revolutionized. There there were other giants before him, but um, really kind of set, I would say set the the tone for for Lewis to kind of come in and do what he does as far as winning all those world championships while he's still driving. So um, super exciting prospect there. And then on the flip side of the coin, um, we got, you know, Nikita Mazepin. He's a, he's caught a little bit of controversy over this past, uh, this past year. Um, Twitter F1 Twitter is, is a hell of a place. If you can never visit, they will never forgive him for, for what he did probably rightly so. Um, but you know, every single time that a F1 posts, even like if it's a video where he gets a five, 10 second snippet, um, they will hashtag we say no to Mazepin. So uh, I can consider, I can probably guess that that's going to go on the rest of the year. It's not going to be an easy uh, easy season for him, just like it wasn't an easy race for him up front. Uh, the dude spun. I, he spun out during practice. He spun out during quals, and he spun out on the first lap of the race. So what is what is there to say uh, about this guy? Like I, I you know, you, you you hate the sin, love the sinner, but. I don't think that the center's going to get a lot of like slack over the next couple, a uh, couple of months. Like, I don't know. What, what do you got on Haas? Uh, I mean, as aggressive and stupid as he is off the track, he is just as aggressive and just as stupid as he is on the track. So maybe, you know, that kind of character wise follows him a little bit of, of how he races, but I mean, he is like a bull in a China shop. He yeah. just is, comes in at every single race and he's willing to, I mean, just stupidly run, as fast as he can. I mean, I, 
it was hilarious listening to the the announcers as they tried to explain his rationale and what he did. And they were like, you know, knowing this type of Haas car and, and the speed of it, there's no way that you should be spinning out at this point. In the track. <laughs> yeah. and, I mean, just as blunt as you can be being like, what are you doing? And not only is he hated by the fans, it seems like he's already kind of ticking off some of the, uh, the drivers with quals and, and kind of breaking some unwritten rules um, over the weekend too. So uh, it just seems like he's coming in. He does not give a flying fuck about whatever he's doing. He's just doing trying to be as fast as possible. And it just doesn't seem like he understands, you know, where, what positions he's at compared to, you know, he's just not in the right car uh, to be, you know, attempting some of these things. And on the, on the other uh, hand, as you said, Mick just seems like um, kind of embellishes everything that his dad was um, just a great guy. It seems like he's a very captivating kid. And so I don't see them, you know, drinking a ton of beers after these, uh, these races and, and hanging out too much. It seems like they, um, you know, on the kind of the flip side of the coin a little bit, but uh, I think as the bottom rate, uh, the bottom constructors of these, um, the bottom three or four, I, they're by far the most entertaining in the fact that it's just kind of a dumpster fire. Okay, moving on to the Bahrain Grand Prix that we saw this past Sunday. Um, it was a hell of a weekend, a lot of exciting stuff happening, um, culminating in a, a really good race. I think especially at the top of the grid, people's, uh, like there's a big, I would say, criticism of F1 just from in terms of excitement that, you know, the race starts, Hamilton, Bottas, Verstappen go off, and then it's kind of uh, everybody else with Hamilton taking, taking down uh, first place. But, you know, it, it, it wasn't really like that. You know, there, there, there was a bit of a separation uh, between kind of top three and, and four. Um, but still, you know, there's, there's a lot of talking points here. Um, what kind of stood out to you as, as one of the first, I guess, like, you know, one of your first thoughts when you look back on the Grand Prix? Yeah, I thought the, even before the race could even start, seeing the, the Perez um, con controller uh, and steering wheel lose power, that was something that was pretty shocking, a little scary to see, uh, just right off the bat, all this excitement for every single driver. and then potentially losing one driver before the race even starts. And the fact that he was able to, to get it back up was really exciting. Um, unfortunate that, you know, he had a start from the pit lane, but uh, I thought also it showed, you know, an excitement where he was able to, you know, come from last place and um, finish fifth was, uh, was really surprising. Um, I thought he had a great race due to that. Um, and I know, everyone was kind of worried, Oh, here, here we go again with another, you know, rough, uh, second seat for, for Red Bull. And, and the fact that he could end, you know, on a somewhat positive note, I know, you know, their expectation isn't for fifth place for him every time. So, uh, at least somewhat positive note of, of how he started. I thought it was great to see. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a bit of a heart attack early on when you saw his car, you know, on the formation lap, not work. Like, oh, geez, you know, the, all, all this kind of like excitement, Red Bull finally having two cars to attack Mercedes with, and, and there it goes. But yeah, you know, it's it, worth noting that like last uh, or last year, he started at the back of the track after a spin out um, and then, you know, won the race in Bahrain um, on the Secure Grand Prix. It, this time, I don't think we were expecting him to win a race, but I definitely wasn't expecting him to go back from, you know, 20th up to up to fifth. So yeah, that was awesome. You know, he, he had a great race um early problems just like max did max had i think it was race five or, or lap five or six it was just max going back and forth with the engineer saying hey something you know something's wrong like check data um 
kind of made me nervous, especially at the beginning saying, okay, well, this is just going to be kind of a Merc one, two. Um, but at the same time, you know, he, he pulled it back really, really stuck it to him really. So we're stuck it to him late rather. So yeah, that was, that was good to see. Um, let's see what, any thoughts on Max? No, I, I think, you know, it made Max was, uh, you know, kind of pinned, um, against the wall, regardless of the car was struggling or not just, you know, the constant same thing as last year, having, you know, one driver competing for them compared to you know, that two driver scenario uh, just makes it near impossible to be able to to figure that out with Mercedes being able to really strategize around one one racer, one driver. And so um, I think, you know, you feel for him. Um, the one thing, you know, as as exciting it was to see Sergio improve, I saw something where last year in the first race of the season, Albon actually had the exact same scenario where he finished started yeah. back of the grid and finished <laughs> his place. And so I was like, well, like as exciting as, as it could be, you know, this is not like, you don't want to get compared to albums last year. So, um, so I mean, I'm, I'm fully expecting that not to be an issue, but uh, it was kind of upsetting to see, you know, I was excited to see Sergio do well. And they're like, Oh, well, album did the same exact same thing last year. I was like, ah, shit. Yeah, great. We, we yeah. <laughs> another we one round, round, round of a bad second to Max. Yeah. All right, moving on. We uh, keep it on the same kind of line of problems early in the race. Um, early, early in the race, you know, three, three or four corners into the race. Um, the beloved slash ultra hated Nikita Mazepin holds the fastest, holds the record for the fastest DNF in an F1 driver's first race. So how about that? You know, he's coming in. People stacked against him all over the place. Driver's not really loving him from, from some of the antics that he pulled in qualifying. And uh, he gets the name Mazda Spin, which I love. Musta Spin, Mazda Spin. Uh, I saw if he were an instrument, he would be a triangle because he only has three corners. <laughs> Zingo. Nice. Nice. Nailed it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it was you know it was it was good and bad to see him out. You want to see at, you want to see Haas at least kind of put up a fight. They had Vettel at the back of the grid to, to kind of fend off. So it was kind of looking forward to seeing Vettel try to make his way through the Haases. I don't think it would have taken him that long, but seeing some kind of fight would have been better than you know crashing out on on turn four. So yeah, what thoughts there? Thoughts for our boy Nikita? No, I mean, I, I, hopefully he can you know take a lot of learning lessons from this weekend. Um, I love Haas's. Uh, principal Gunther. Uh, I think he's just a, a clown. So just seeing him down all the time is, is not something that I always like seeing. So hopefully that they can at least show some promise moving forward. It doesn't seem like there's any signs pointing that they will be um, based off of the expectation of the car. Um, and just, it seems like they're kind of not even focusing too much on the car this year. So, but yeah, hopefully um, maybe some little bit brighter days ahead. Um, hopefully not seeing your, your one driver leave, you know, a third of the way through the track. So. <laughs> All right. Moving on to the collusion at Mercedes, as we put our tinfoil hats on here, um, Bottas had, I think it was a 10.9 second stop uh, at the same circuit that he had a pretty bad stop at last year when he was racing alongside George Russell when, when Hamilton was out with COVID. So um, I guess, what are your thoughts on this? And I, not to ask a loaded question, but why does Mercedes hate Bottas? It's almost comical. And the thing that actually makes me mad is you could tell how mad Bottas is regarding this. And he's been pretty frustrated with like clearly kind of being a number two seat 
Um, and like, it seems like Toto just laughs at it when they're like, oh, like, is, is Botas, you know, your number two? And he just kind of laughs a little bit. He's like, oh, no. We're like, yeah, he is. Obviously, he is. And like, you're, you're kind of making a joke of it. And and so, yeah, I, I do feel for, for um, Botas. And it just seems like he just hates his situation. Like, it's hard. You can never just want to leave Mercedes just in the fact that, you know, you're – you have the chance to win every single race um, and, and be a part of a constructor's cup. Um, But I mean, it just got to, has got to be so frustrating. And and my question is, do you think if roles were reversed and uh, Botas wasn't in the lead that the um, strategy changes were, you know, they, they bring kind of Lewis in completely different from, from what was happening. Yeah, tough to say, right? Because you, you do want that opportunity to undercut and, and like kind of take tires out earlier that when you're in P3, then you're in P1, just kind of have that insurance policy. Sucks to be that insurance policy and always be, be on that kind of like lowest step on the podium. You're still on the podium, so you can't complain too much. Um, but yeah, as far as like whether or not the actual strategy would change, it's tough because we haven't seen too many times. I've not seen that too often, no. I haven't seen that too often. But I will say it does always seem like it does always seem like, I mean, last year, Bottas won what, two or three races. And when he was winning, Lewis was fighting him. Like Lewis oh, yeah. did not have any, any plans to kind of like slow down and he wasn't really instructed or they didn't bring him in early. So I think uh, had it, had it happened that way where Bottas was one up there fighting with Max and Lewis came in, Lewis would have very gracefully uh, talked to media being like, Hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with the team. And then as soon as they get behind closed doors, uh, Lewis would have, yeah, held, held Bottas's face into the carpet for a little while just to show him who daddy is. But, and honestly with Hamilton's past, there has been uh, times where, uh, especially with him and Nico, where they were saying, you know, Hey, Hey, let Nico pass. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. So I could equally seen, you know, something (laughs) where they're like, Hey, you know, we need you to do this strategy. He's like, no, not, not for me, not what I'm going to do. And so next time. Yeah, and so yeah, Lewis has always been uh, very hard-headed on um, 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 as a as a driver, and so you know credit to him because it obviously pays off, and and he's had a ton of success from doing it. But he's definitely not someone to if he if he has a certain opinion on on a matter, he's gonna he's gonna say it. Yeah, yeah, even if it's even if it's not to media, right to to the rest of the world, like he'll he'll say it to his team. I I would pay a lot of money to be, to be in those, like, you know, race debriefs at the end where something doesn't go Lewis's way. Give me some popcorn. Let's get it going. (laughs) Awesome. Um, All right. Let's talk about uh, one of, you know, probably one of my top, I don't know, three favorite drivers, uh, Pierre Gasly had a bit of a, a bit of a stinker of a race, honestly. Um, I think see in lap four, he got his front wing taken off. Um, kind of like screwed him over because he had to pit. I think, you know, pitting in the, in the first four laps is going to screw you over because you're not going to have good, you know, you're not going to have tires or new tires last you all that much longer than everybody else. Um, but yeah, you, I think you texted me like, Hey, what, uh, what's, uh, what's going on with Gasly at the back here? Um, seems like a bit of a bit of a blip in the radar, even though it's early. Um, I, I think he still has like the qualifying pace that he's shown us that he's going to be able to go for, you know, go forth and, and fight for, kind of the top of the, you know, top, top one or two of the midfield um, mm-hmm. as best case scenario here. But uh, you can kind of concur with that, that that was just a, a bit of a bit of a hiccup or, or do I have yeah, to? And I, I think that they were kind of saying the announcers were saying that he had some, 
some car troubles similar to Perez with, I think kind of like their, their steering wheel and, and had to make some changes uh, over the weekend. So I think, you know, that, that there was clearly some car troubles that he was going through. I mean, even if you have his similar situation where, uh, you know, you have an early pit, he still wasn't making up any ground for these, you know, lower half teams. So like, you know, with a better car, you're, you're clearly going to make up some time. You're going to pass some of these, you know, these Haas's, these Williams drivers. And so, I mean, he was 19 or 18, 19, 17, the entire race. And, and you know, he poked back up here and there, but um, that was pretty surprising is that not the fact that he did have those car troubles, but after he, you know, fixed it, went, went to pit and, and had, you know, what you would expect is a, a working car that he just wasn't able to, to have much uh, of strong time. So I'm not worried at all. I think this was kind of a, yeah, as you said, kind of a, a freak situation and, and that he'll be kind of back to his old ways in the coming weeks. Yeah, I hope so. Have you seen pictures of him or have you seen interviews? Because he's yoked now. He just decided to get he, he is pretty damn strong, yeah. He was always <laughs> going to cut, like, yeah, but, I mean, he just – he put on some mass right there. Yeah, I don't – like, he – someone introduced him to protein powder or something, and now he's like <laughs> one and a half times the guy he was. <laughs> he took a look over at golf, and he's like, Bryson put on, like, 40 pounds? And look at him. And he's like, I'm doing that. <laughs> if there's a silver lining – Right. Um, when the TV panned to Toto, they zoomed in onto his feet and you could see kind of like a nervous twitching, like a nervous tapping. And just like you heard all of F1 fans hearts break as soon as Lewis had to had to get that position back from Max. It was like you felt everybody get excited. because It's like, man, you don't see a nervous Toto. You see a calm, collected, you know, cool, even when he maybe doesn't when one of his drivers doesn't win the race. You know, last year he, I think uh, it was maybe Pierre who won the race and he was like, yeah, you know, it's good for the sport. Like we like F1, uh, you know, having some kind of variety. And it's like, man, it, it just seemed like he was always cool until that point. So, yeah, I'm sure there's some kind of production value in, in just zooming in on, on a foot. Like, you know, uh, maybe he does that on other races too. But, but man, it was kind of good to see him nervous. And, and it was good to see Max being able to have, you know, it, it was a little unlucky, I'd say, but it was cool to see Max having won a race without any kind of other, you know, incident going down or any kind of attrition leading to someone else other than Lewis on top of the podium. Yeah. And it seemed like Toto was almost kind of a fan going through this too. Cause I feel like I was kind of doing that same shaking, just seeing this inevitable like potential pass between the two. And so I think he was feeling that heat as well as everyone was kind of expecting that potential outcome to happen. And so I thought that, yeah, he, he kind of showed that, you know, this is like a definitely a worry. I mean, they were looking at the times and it was just, it was only a matter of time that that, that was going to be a problem. And so uh, that, that was uh, surprising to see. And I loved actually after the fact, and it seemed like this is something that they're going to continue to do, but the fact that they had interviewed right after Toto and Horner back together and really were, I thought was that I, I loved that. And I, it seemed like even the, um, the reporter was, just saying, you know, hopefully we can start doing this more often. Uh, but I love that interaction for them to be able to kind of like bounce their thoughts off of each other um, and kind of have some like fun kind of digs back at, back and forth at each other too. Um, I thought that that was something that we really need to see more of. One thing is saying somebody to, or saying something mean or, or you know, kind of like maybe not even mean, but like a jab at somebody over Twitter, right? Or over an interview. The other one is, <laughs> the other side of the coin is when you say something like Horner does right to Toto's face, 
which is to say like it just adds this new element of like i mean just like we like drive to survive because it's you no know, it mixes it mixes sport with reality tv basically um that that reality tv is amplified when those two kind of top you know top dogs um that are that are always kind of fighting with each other are, are interviewed in the same place i i saw that i loved it i super hope they keep doing that because yeah, yeah that was that was just awesome super great yeah well yeah so um kind of our our next little uh segment with races not you know during these times where we have a couple weeks off of races we kind of wanted to maybe do some uh driver spotlights um i know with you know for us like we said we we started watching drive to survive and so we didn't really know without doing our own research or maybe some small clippets within the the show much about these drivers in the past and so um we thought you know we take this time to kind of every single week that there was an off race to take a a bigger dive into some of these drivers and um what better driver to start off with than um sir lewis hamilton and so lewis hamilton yeah sir, I, yeah yeah they, you have better get that. right yeah, they're coming for you Although, yeah, don't you get in trouble if you don't like technically you kind of get in trouble right if you don't you get deported from england if you don't say yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a big big deal um <laughs> so uh lewis was born in 1985 he was raised born and raised in stevenage hertfordshire so um as english of a place that you could think of pretty british yeah very british yeah stevenish hertfordshire is yeah, that's, that's, pronounced, that's, about right. that's what i looked it up that's actually how exactly how they were supposed to say oh it. really that's great yeah, no, it's really good yeah <laughs> i was looking it up that's actually uh fun fact is that's less than an hour away from the red bulls factory believe it or not where stevenish hertfordshire maybe a little collusion in the future we'll see oh you think so uh so his parents anthony black carmen white um and i think this is something that everyone knows uh he was the first black driver in formula one started racing at the age of six had a lot of you know racist abuse growing up uh he actually took karate to defend himself as a result of some of the bullying uh, love he, that by the way great yeah, move. Yeah, good for that honestly yeah. hopefully he kept it up we need more of that for sure just see it on the racetrack if he had some problem just start fucking karate chopping in a little bit while you're while you're, yeah wheel to wheel and then you just chop dude i wish he could have done it with like him and nico dude, just <laughs> fucked him up if he was pissing him off um he also played football, a uh, huge Arsenal fan for any Arsenal fans out there, as well as cricket. Yeah, a little fun fact, he actually played soccer with Ashley Young at school, uh, famous soccer player. Currently plays at Inter Milan, so a little fun fact there. Uh, he was the youngest bri- driver to win the British Cadet Karting Championship at the age of 10. Uh, some very interesting facts. So when Lewis was 12, Ladbrokes, a British gambling and betting company, took a bet on Hamilton that he would finish and win a, or he would win a formula one race before the age of 23. Those odds were 40 to one. Which that, that is the single-handedly the most absurd thing that I think you have on this whole list of, of everything, like taking again, taking a 12 year old and saying, Hey, I think you're going to win at the pinnacle of racing. And then, and then putting a nine year, you know, nine year expiration date on that with 40 to one odds. Like, how do a how do you make those odds like what data points are you using yeah exactly and 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 b like what a i mean how many of these other like obviously i'm I'm bet he wasn't the only one like how many no-name drivers are never gonna know have odds on them winning an f1 race before the age of you know 23 or whatever and give me those odds because i'll take all of them 
Yeah. And it is one thing to um, actually have a deal with your buddy. If you're like watching high school and this kid's going to be a phenom, be like, I bet you a hundred dollars that he makes, you know, like makes it to the pros. But to like, actually, if I were like, Hey, DraftKings, <laughs> look into these odds, tell me what they are. Let's make the bet. Like they would be like, who are you? I don't know. The fact that they even went through it is, is pretty surprising, entertaining. There was also another bet that he would win the driver's world or the world drivers championship before he was 25. That was 150 to one. So whoever is making these bet on Lewis is just getting paid. Um, <laughs> so I had a really successful career in um, kind of growing up, up until, you know, um, formula three, some formula Renault series, um, always, you know, finishing top five or, or winning them. Um, in 2007, he actually um, was his rookie year in formula one. He signed with um, McLaren and his, it was paired with defending world championship Fernando Alonso, who we're seeing making the comeback himself. And so 2007, so he was the first black driver to, to race in the sport and finished one uh, runner up to Kimi by one point. Um, so he finished with 109 points to Kimi's 110 as a rookie. So a uh, very impressive rookie season for him to start off. There was a number of incidents that year though, with him and Alonso that, was causing a ton of tension between them two as well as the team. Uh, McLaren ended up terminating Alonzo's contract and staying with um, Lewis, which was, I thought was extremely surprising seeing a defending world championship get the boot compared to this rookie. But I think that just goes to show, you know, the promise that Lewis had. Um, but yeah, just kind of think about like LeBron, you know, if you had a LeBron uh, having some issues with a, a rookie phenom and like, no team's going to be like, Hey, sorry, LeBron, like pack your shit. Um, so it's, it's pretty, pretty crazy to kind of think of like someone that has, you know, been at the very top of your game in the world to, to get the boot uh, for a rookie. But you think that could happen with Ocon? You think Fernando Alonso would get the boot for Ocon? <laughs> well, I mean, nowadays, I don't know. <laughs> different. Time has passed. Uh, and then, so in 2008, uh, Lewis won his first title. The, uh, had a very interesting way to win it. It was ended up being into the, the last race of the, of the season had a very crucial overtake in the last corner of the lap to, to win that. And eventually and ended up winning the actual uh, world title. This made him the youngest formula one world champion in history. The, um, and then his last four years at McLaren, uh, he was kind of finishing runner up to Vettel of uh, uh, ending up in, three to five, you know, spots, um, in the constructor, the driver's championship. And then in 2013, uh, made a surprising move to Mercedes. And, um, this was a team that really didn't have a ton of recent history of success, uh, which was part of the surprise that he was, that, um, he made the move had one year, one win that year, finished fourth in the standings. And then in 2014, I think is where everything changed for Lewis's, uh, career. So they, mandated the use of turbo hybrid hybrid engines which this means that allows kinetic and heat energy to uh, recovery systems no idea what that means uh, um, yeah, i was going to say perf perfect yeah course. i was going to say totally that, that. wasn't that your research to tell us more about these turbo hybrid hybrid yeah. engines? so basically a turbo hybrid engine you just kind of hybrid up your turbos and you kind of mash them together and then you and then you roll baby and then yeah you get see and in apparently previous years, they just didn't mash. They didn't do the mashing part. 
Yeah, it was kind of like side by side. And in uh, 2014, they mashed the turbo and the mm-hmm. hybrid. And then bang, dude, Lewis just busts out Shane. <laughs> and he goes, oh, I'm a masher. <laughs> he goes, he goes, mashing. Here I am. <laughs> uh, so after that, Mercedes really started um, making their imprint on the, on the racing grid. Mercedes won 16 of the 19 races that season, 11 coming from Lewis Hamilton and had a, just a really long heated battle between him and Nico Rosberg. And that was his second title uh, driver's title. Then dominated the 2015 season. That's when he tied, uh, tied um, Senna's world championships with three that uh, that year he extended his contract with, Mercedes for another three years, uh, a deal worth reportedly 100 million pounds, about 110, 120 million US dollars, making him one of the best paid drivers in Formula One. And in the 2016 lost his title to Nico by five points, very close race. He, I believe, led the grid on uh, podiums as well as uh, actual race win- wins. Uh, right after that, Nico had a surprising uh, announcement and retired right after. This is when, in 2017, when Valtteri came in and uh, over the next couple of years, so pretty much from 2017 uh, and 2018, had a, a lot of battles with Sebastian Vettel over at Ferrari, ended up basically from 2017 to, to 2020, dominating the field. Um Winning a and breaking a ton of records, having 11 pole positions, uh, which was the most all time. And after 2017, signed a two year deal worth uh, 40 million per year, which I'm assuming that if you add up all the other drivers on the grid, I would say that he probably makes over half of them combined. Yeah. Um, and, and then one again in 2019 and uh, 2019 and 2020 really showed a, a huge gap into how good uh, Mercedes and um, Lewis was compared to the, the rest of the grid. And so in 2020, he won his seventh, which was tying Michael Schumacher's uh, over the shortened 2017 uh, over the shortened race season. There were 17 races. He won 11 of them. And uh broke also Michael Schumacher's record of 91 wins. And then um, some off the track information about him. He was knighted last year by Queen Elizabeth II, uh, just recognizing a lot of people with who defeated, helped defeat coronavirus and some of their impacts uh, related around the pandemic. He was also very huge in activism and philanthropy. So in December, so last year, actually coming up to the, Bahrain's uh, Grand Prix. He had some human rights comments about Bahrain and their allegations of sports washing. People that don't know who's, what sports washing is, it's you know, a corporation, it's a, a country organization that has had you know, some negative things about them. They're doing some, some inappropriate things and they're bringing a race, uh, some type of sporting event to make them look more positive. And so that, that was something that he wasn't afraid to, to speak out on. I know he got a lot of heat from Formula One as well as kind of Bahrain in general, which is not a, a country that you would want kind of a, a, not on your side, I would say. Um, but has also done a lot of other things. So he's donated half a million dollars to the bushfire crisis in Australia. Remember when that oh, was going on? Remember when there was yeah, just fires? I mean, <laughs> Remember how crazy the world was back then? Look yeah, at us now. Who would have thought? Now, just all still in lockdown. From <laughs> I mean, we're back. <laughs> we are all the way back. 
he also is trying to improve some of the things within Mercedes and some of these uh, cars. So asked Mercedes to swap any animal derived leather into the company's models worldwide. So trying to make some impacts even within his own company. He also announced that he was going to be carbon neutral by the end of 2020. Um, I don't know how that's going, but he did <laughs> say that he was going to try to do that. I don't know with sport of formula one, how that is even closely uh, close to being possible, but um, you know, good for him, good on him for, for making those comments and trying to trying to do the right thing. Yeah. He's trying, he's trying, I feel like he's, that, that's more of a move trying to get everybody else to be carbon neutral. Right. Uh, right. Like, it looks like being yeah. on the same mindset. I mean, I would bet a lot of money that he is not carbon. Neutral. <laughs> let's go to DraftKings. Let's say, hey, like you said, let's say, hey, what are the odds that Lewis is actually carbon neutral? Yeah, and I'll, like, I'll uh, fact check it. I'll be the one to go be like, hey, Lewis, when was the last time that you heated your house? <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, all right. Good for you. Uh, some interesting things where kind of he lives, he um, lives in Switzerland, moved there into 2007 for privacy reasons, 2010, along with a lot of other drivers, moved to Monaco, had a 10 million dollar euro or 10 million euro house there, has an apartment in Manhattan worth 40 million dollars, an estate in Colorado as well, um, where he said that he would retire after Formula One. He's estimated about 250 million euros. And actually, so some recent news, which is pretty cool in April 2021. So just coming up now. There's a new motorsport racing series that he helped launch called Extreme E, which is an off-road racing series. Uh, had some roots around Formula E, and this really showcases electric SUVs, some futuristic tech, and some, some of the world's most remote and challenging environments. It's going to help you know, stand out some, some um, environmental change and, and things like that. So really trying to help, as he's done in the past, help you know, move the world in the right direction. Some very interesting drivers kind of joining them. Jensen Button, Carl Sainz Sr. Um, will be will be racing and some interesting parts of it. So the race will have one male, one female driver. Teams will actually get to determine right, right up until the race how this racing dynamic is going to go, whether it's going to be the male or female that goes first and really strategize around that. So I think that's a little interesting little nugget into to the sport itself. So uh, that's pretty much... Uh, Lewis Hamilton, kind of in a nutshell, some of the things that he's been able to accomplish on the racetrack, as well as some interesting stuff off the racetrack. Um, I also had some pretty, I, I think some of my favorite uh, things about um, Lewis is that his list of girlfriends that he has had in his career. It is a pretty stellar list. I think, you know, if you're an American, you hear the list with Derek Jeter and some of the, the people that he's been with. I'm going to just kind of run down, um, run down the list and I'm going to kind of pair them up. So Barbara Pavlin, Winnie Harlow, Sophia Ritchie, singer uh, or daughter of Lionel Ritchie and Jasmine Sanders, all very attractive, beautiful models. Nicole Scherzinger was the Pussycats, the, uh, the singer of the Pussycats dolls. Loda uh, Hinsa, Miss Finland, Vivian Burkhart represented Granada and Miss World Pageant. Rihanna, Nicki Minaj and Daniel Lloyd was Miss England. So, I mean, just an impressive list. Uh, What's that? Pretty impressive resume. Who else? I mean, yeah. yeah, Like that's that, uh, that number. That alone, that alone is going to drop some draws, drop some, drop some jaws. And um, the fact that, yeah, I mean this, this list I was kind of going through and just got a little sidetracked with um, all these beautiful women that I was staring at uh, at the computer at work all day. So. Uh, Yeah, man, that's, that's awesome. I think, uh, 
something you can for sure say about Lewis is that he tries to make, he tries to make like activism and doing good. He tries to make it sexy. You know what I mean? Like um, he, he's super, super active on social media, like calling out. He was very active during the black lives matter uh, protest this past summer in 2020. Um, you know, he, like, like this whole, I think this whole formula or what is it called? Extreme formula. Oh, extreme E like, that's a perfect example of where, you know, a lot of people think climate, you know, climate change isn't necessarily the sexiest of topics. So how do you bring attention to climate change, uh, especially for race fans that are used to, to a lot of carbon, carbon footprint right. in terms of just like all the gas? Well, the way you do it is you race in Saudi Arabia in the sand and Argentina on the glaciers and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it just just an awesome dude all the way around. I think uh, if if we're not careful, sometimes we just fall into this. I would say uh, like mindset of, man, it's, it's so annoying to see somebody do well. It's just kind of like when, uh, you know, when, when any, but when there's any kind of dynasty, you know, we, we, we want to get out of the dynasty, but it is nice to take a second and, and just breathe and be like, okay, we are alive and, and witnessing this, uh, th- this stuff that, I mean, I don't see these records being broken. They can't be broken for another nine or 10 years. Right. It'd be a while <laughs> before anyone has a chance. Right. Right. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's awesome to see, like, this is going to be, he, for all of the, I would say uh, upset that he causes with just being so dominant, man, it, it is good to see it. Two things. It's, it's good to see him. It's good that we're alive and, and get to see him race and then we can tell our kids about it. Um, and it's also good to see somebody that's that much at the top of, of their, you know, of their sport, um, try to give back in the best way possible and in the best way that he knows how. So yeah, all around cool dude is a hell of a spotlight. I'm sure that took a long time to kind of research. So well done. Tip of the hat to you, Marco. Um, and yeah, let's move on to our next sector, I think. Wonderful. Now we are at the part of the show um, where we have this idea of going back and talking about just big stories, right? It can be anything from, uh, you know, cool races that have happened, cool things off the track that have happened, not even cool, just notable, right? Um, and so the story I'm going to tell you today is the story of the 2004 Monaco Grand Prix. You ready, Marco? Ready, ready for ready. it? You better- I'm, on the, I'm hopping on that roller coaster. Ready to go. <laughs> let's do it <laughs> all right okay i'm going to start off by giving you the where when and who okay where like i said monaco grand prix monaco grand prix is one of the more famous tracks around uh last year with the pandemic it was actually one of the first times uh, it was the first time since 1954 that the circuit was not on the f1 calendar so it carries a lot of weight for for f1 fans for f1 junkies right um that's the where the when 2004 great year right? Totally great year for you. Probably. How old were you? Like 10? How could I forget? Yeah. How could you? Uh, 2004, some things that were happening around the world, the year that Olympics got uh, brought back to Greece. Um, there were Olympics in Athens again, Lance Armstrong wins his sixth of seven tour de France's and for the movie buffs out there, um, the popular oceans 11 with a very star studded cast guys like who was in oceans 11, Brad Pitt, Clooney, Bernie Mac. uh, I'm sure some other, who is Matt Damon. Matt Damon, obviously, um, that movie was dropping a sequel, Oceans 12. And that's actually important. And I'll get I'll get to why in a second. So that's the where and the when and the who is Jaguar racing. Obviously, they're not on the grid anymore. Um, it was an old Formula One team under the brand Jaguar, popular luxury car that most people would recognize. So that's the where, when, who. And two things I want to I want to kind of like outline before I get too deep into the story here. So um, this is one of the weirder stories about Formula One. 
if you're new to the sport, um, just for some background, Formula One cars can reach up to up to about 375 kilometers an hour. For us Americans, that's like 230 miles an hour. Crashing happens pretty often, whether it's car to car, car to barrier, like whatever the case is, it's usually not a perfectly like squeaky clean race. Uh, last week was a great example at Bahrain when we had, um, you know, we had Vettel crash into Ocon, we had uh, Mazepin spin into the wall. So, um, you know, that's some kind of like background knowledge. And the second piece of info um, is going back to Ocean Swell. That movie was being released. And as a publicity stunt for the movie coming out, there was a promo effort um, to put a diamond on the car, right? That was their idea. Was they were going to put a diamond on the car so that people would say, oh, why is there a diamond there? And say, oh, because of Ocean's Eleven. Now, if you know anything about the movie. Of course. I mean, of course. Yeah. You know, you see. A diamond, uh, that's you my bad. I should have known. <laughs> you should have. If you know anything about Ocean's Eleven, you know that the movie was about stealing a Fabergé egg instead of a diamond. Um, totally beside the point. The idea was there. Marketing said, hey, we're going to put a diamond on this car and people are going to go watch this movie. And the rest of the guys said, all right, let's do it. Um, so going into the story now, Jaguar Racing. Obviously, they were an F1 team. Um, they were purchased by Ford in 2000 and then sold to the uh, and then and then Ford eventually sold the team in November of 2004, uh, not to a car manufacturer, but actually to an energy drink, weirdly enough, um, called Red Bull, which ended up making a team called Red Bull Racing. So if that sounds familiar um, at the time, two guys that were racing were this Australian guy named Mark Weber actually just finished his autobiography. Um, it was a total snooze fest. Don't really recommend that. Um, but he was, he was a cool guy, got an Australian accent, which is always cool. Uh, and the Austrian guy, Christian Klein, Mark Weber went on to stay at Red Bull, right? For several years, he raced with a guy named Sebastian Vettel and Christian. Oh, I think I said Klein. It's actually clean, which is annoying, huh? So Christian clean, K L E I N, uh, kind of just pittered out his F1 career with Red Bull after, uh, about, I think two years after Red Bull bought the team now races like GT sports cars, I don't, I couldn't tell you anything about it, but the cars look really sweet. Like if you have time to Google like GT sports cars, those are the cars to race. F1 doesn't, F1 is a cooler like event, but the GT sports cars are way cooler from just like a, a machine standpoint. Anyway, this old Jaguar racing team got seventh, third place in a row, underperforming team, lack of engineering presence. They were using someone's engine. And so like a perfect, uh, basically think of Alfa Romeo today, like Alfa Romeo's on the, on the Ferrari engine. They got, I think they got seventh place uh, last year. Underwhelming team, not a lot to talk about, uh, but a cool brand, right? Alfa Romeos are, are cool cars. So what do you do when you're underperforming, right? Your drivers are no standouts. Uh, not a lot of money coming in from like from the FIA, from Formula One. Uh, what do you do when you need money? And you look to your marketing team and you say, get me some kind of sponsorship. And in this case, there was like this weirdish one-off marketing partnership with Ocean's 12. Um, it hasn't been like the last time we saw that. In 2019, there was like a 007 promotion with uh, Red Bull, like Aston Martin Red Bull. Uh, anyway, sponsorship is signed. And there's for a single race, the marketing geniuses at Ocean's 11 and Jaguar say, hey, let's put a, again, let's put a diamond on the car. Great. Let's talk about this diamond. Where is it mounted? Uh, it's not in the cockpit, right? Protected. Like there, there's obviously like a safety, uh, you know, a, a, I think they call it the safety cell or safe cell, not in a very secure place. It's actually on the nose, which is one of the more dangerous places for a car. Not an ideal place to put a diamond um, that's worth about $300,000. Um, yeah, they did that on both of the cars at Jaguar. Um, and so between the two of them, between the two cars that they had racing, 
there were two diamonds worth, you know, together a little over a, a half mil. So great idea from the jump. Let's talk Monaco. Uh, I mentioned earlier that Monaco is kind of, is, is very famous in Formula One. It's a street track, which means it's not, you know, you know, outside of Formula One weekend, there are people driving on it just like to, you know, to get from point A to point B. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. Like the sights around the track are, are just breathtaking. Um, it's sick because you can watch races from like a yacht that they have in Harbor. That's just track side that it's, it's, you know, not that far away from the track and can just be on your, you know, on your millionaire yacht and, and watching these cars go around at 200 miles an hour. Not a lot of room for passing because the streets are so narrow. So qualifying is important. And a fun fact, uh, that'll come into play later is that turn six, on the Monaco uh, Grand Prix track is actually the slowest corner on an F1 circuit. So it's a hairpin, which means basically you just go 180 degrees um, and cars get down to, I think it was 65 kilometers an hour. So like not much, you know, we drive on the street at 40 miles an hour and you're going faster than these car cars go like at their low point of the, of the turn. So before we get to what I'm sure you can guess is going to happen, um, I want to talk about uh, who gave these diamonds to Jaguar racing? Uh, because it's an interesting story if you want to go look it up, but in short, not to take too much time, there's this guy named Benny Steinmetz, who was a person that supplied the diamonds. He was kind of like a mining. I saw a term called mining mogul. Um, I don't really know what that means, but, uh, he's essentially like a, an ore guy. Like he, he mines shit, which is great. Right. What do we say about our beloved Benny? Um, he and two other associates of his got caught bribing officials to win mining licenses, uh, which found them on trial in Switzerland and has basically not let them go. Like he's getting in, he's been getting into trouble for the last 16 to 17 years, um, which in Switzerland is kind of weird. I always thought like you think of Switzerland, you think of Swiss cheese, you think of chocolate and like sketchy offshore banking activity that seems to go pretty under the radar most of the time. Nevertheless, we got a bit of a sketch character who puts up these diamonds that were supposedly uh, uninsured because, you know, who would insure a piece of jewelry that's attached to the external part of a car that goes 200 miles an hour and crashes frequently. But besides the point, similar to Mazepin this past weekend in Bahrain, Christian Clean puts on an absolute masterclass of racing by wrecking his car on lap one. So he hits the barrier at none other than turn six, the well-known hairpin I was mentioning earlier. Uh, and dude, if you look at this picture, this guy had no clue that a corner was even coming up like this, this guy, this guy turned the steering wheel as soon as his, as the nose of his car that held a diamond, uh, made contact with this barrier. So, um, that happens, right? Not a massive crash because he's not going super fast at that turn. Um, but the, you know, the nose breaks off and there's a race going on. So, you know, you can't, if you're a marshal out there, you can't go around and be like, okay, guys, pause the race. We need to look for this diamond. Racers got to do their job. The race has to go on, kind of show has to go on type deal. As per safety guidelines from the FIA, nobody aside from specified safety personnel are allowed to go onto the scene. Makes total sense, right? Um, the, the thing that I, when I was reading that, I was like, man, if in Austin, right, there were, there were some beer drunk Americans that were, that were just got word that there's a diamond on the track you got to think at least one of these Texans is, is going to make the jump, you know, is, is going to take that dive, roll the dice, see if there's anything that, uh, and it hurt to check. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't hurt to check. The risk reward factor is pretty good. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, no, you know, only safety personnel is allowed on the scene. 
Um, and then in that same lap, in that first lap, there's another accident, accident where uh, another car ends up upside down, right? Nobody's hurt. But the point I'm trying to make is that like in this first lap, like a lot of Formula One races, it's just complete mayhem, like the multiple crashes, multiple turns. Uh, but a lot like among all of this, there was a diamond on the track, right? A diamond worth a significant chunk of, you know, at that time, Jaguars driver's salary. Um, so yeah, imagine the sweat of whoever had this stupid idea to put the diamond on a car. Imagine the sweat of the Jaguar team who just had to literally sit back and helplessly watch the rest of the race for another 76 laps. <laughs> like, uh, you know, just insane. Like I, I would, I would have paid so much money to be in that box and just like, you know, How do you focus on the rest of the race. Yeah. You can't like you, you, you turn the TVs off in the, in this, in the box or wherever you are in Monaco. And you're like, okay, let's, you know, let's all just do some deep breathing, close our eyes and meditate a little bit until we stop hearing the cars. But, um, you know, 76 laps later, the checkered flag is waved. Renault driver, uh, Jarno truly probably butchered that name. Um, he wins the 2004 Monaco grand prix, and after the Grand Prix is over, obviously from the Jaguar team, there's a little bit of a dust up saying, hey, we would like to uh, go out onto the track because I think we left something. <laughs> we dropped something maybe here. I don't yeah, know. I think something, uh, something important might have come off. And you know, after thorough cleaning and search of the circuit after the race, Diamond was never to be found. It's not easy to be a marshal, right? There's a lot of training that goes into it. A lot of people want to do it. So like getting there in and of itself is a pretty big feat. Um, but luck, like this lucky Marshall was way like beyond in, in terms of luck, just so far above everybody else. Like he was selected to be put on turn six in Monaco, one of the coolest turns in the sport and just happened to be, uh, you know, cleaning up after a Jaguar had dented the barrier and found a diamond that was worth easily, easily like, you know, several times his salary, right. Of, of, of just for a year. So Look, F1 is a sport of secrecy, right? From the beginning of the season where like testing is, you know, cars are covered up in testing uh, just to avoid any other teams, like stealing any advantage that, uh, that might be divulged, right? Developments during the season are super secret uh, and so on. But honestly, man, to me, the, the coolest, I would say most entertaining actually secret of Formula One is there's this mystery marshal who after picking up a diamond after lap one of a Grand Prix, had to wait 76 laps, uh, you know, and, and now after that, and, you know, he goes home and just has a diamond in his pocket that's worth $300,000. So, yeah, when I was writing this, like something that came to my head was, you know, what if by some kind of like, you know, random occurrence in the universe, you, Mr. Marshall, I'm talking directly to you, are listening to, to this podcast. I know it's unlikely, all right, not crazy. I, I know it's probably not going to happen, but somehow some way this got to your ear man sir we we salute you we're we are impressed by you yeah let's go ahead we'll, we'll give it up for him we salute you're impressed by you uh and, and yeah we we hope you found somebody to fence that diamond hope your life's gotten better from the selling of that diamond which it rightly should in my opinion uh and and yeah hope you're doing well so that marco is is the lesser known tale of of the diamond of the 2004 grand prix with jaguar racing what do you think which what are your initial thoughts how did i do as this could not be for a more perfect movie of oceans 12 coming in and it's about like a like a heist of an invaluable object the fact that this could be like a subplot of the movie in the marketing department being like hey like oceans 12 be like hey this is a good idea and like uh, maybe Jaguar was like, oh, yeah, we'll put it in the cockpit. We'll like, we'll put it like on the steering wheel. Like, no, 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 no. Like, 
we want people to see the minuscule diamond when these cars are going 200 miles an hour. We should really put it at the front. And this is a plot all along for it to be like lost. And then there's like this whole like backstory of them stealing it or something. But this could not have gone more perfect for a movie marketing. This this was the best marketing that they could have ever done. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Absolutely. Yeah. If the, if the tiny diamond on the nose of the car wasn't enough to get the conversation rolling, bang. You know, what if the Marshall has planned this all along? Let's get meta. The Marshall, the Marshall was, was a former Jaguar employee, knew that this was going down, right? Put something in the car so that the brakes wouldn't work at the, uh, at turn six. And then there you go. Walk home with a diamond. That is a movie. If Ocean's 12, if you look closely enough, that Marshall is actually at the very end passing the group of Ocean's 12 when they're all celebrating. And if you look even closer, he has an earring that has a fucking massive diamond. <laughs> Never understood why this is the case, but damn it, we figured it out. He did it. Just a little bit of sleuth in you and me. <laughs> all right. Awesome. We'll, we'll definitely do more stories like that. Um, that's kind of just the tip of the iceberg as far as like cool things that have happened. But um, let's go ahead and cut it there. I, I think we'll, we'll end that for, for the first episode. Appreciate everybody listening. Uh, any last thoughts before we go out? No, appreciate all the listeners that kind of made it to, to the end of this. Uh, we'd yeah, love any type you. of positive or negative feedback. I know it's going to probably be more than negative than positive, but hey, we'll take all we can get. Yeah, awesome. All right. Thanks, man. We'll, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Adios.